When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Manchester City go eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. But is there no margin for error for Chelsea and Liverpool? Is there any way back in this title race? We'll also talk about Manchester United and whether Ralph Rannick should be their long-term interim manager, the way things have started with his 4-2-2-2 system. And we'll play Nostradamus and make our predictions for 2022. This is The Game. Hello again. Welcome back. Hopefully everyone's had a great Christmas and has been enjoying the festive calendar despite the number of postponements across the football pyramid. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Tom Clark and Jonathan Northcroft. Much for us to discuss. Been a pretty eventful couple of days in... Hang on, Hugh. Hang on. We can't start anywhere other than your comments on Monday's show. The podcast will be back on Thursday the 30th. If Manchester United are beaten by Newcastle a little bit later on, it will be the podcast to end all podcasts. Make sure you tune in for it, okay? Thank God Manchester United got a point. I can't promise you now the podcast to end all podcasts, you know. Big point for Man U and Ralph Rannick. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. What can I say? It was a horrendous performance. It was awful. And I really want to see an upturn from Manchester United because especially the body language, it's poor. We didn't have the apologies from Bruno Fernandes this time around. Even he's reading the room. So that's very good. An improvement at Manchester United. And yet, look, not very great to start with Manchester City in that case. But they are the form team in the Premier League. Eight points clear at the top of the Premier League as we speak. Ten straight Premier League wins uh, after a 1-0 victory at Brentford. However, their rivals have been less convincing. Liverpool stopped from scoring for the first time in 35 games, losing 1-0 at Leicester. Mo Salah saw his penalty saved before Adamola Lukman's winner. Chelsea were held by Brighton as well. Danny Welbeck at scoring an injury time equaliser in their one-all draw at Stamford Bridge. We'll come to Liverpool in a moment. Let's start uh, with Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel bemoaning his ability to compete in the title race with six or seven COVID cases and four or five injuries on top of that. My big question on this is why exactly does Thomas Tuchel think he's alone in that? Jonathan, what do you think? I, I share your, um, your your puzzlement, Hugh, because you know, look, looking at Chelsea's injury situation or looking at you know what they had on the bench last night, it doesn't look like a team down to what Harry Redknapp used to call the bare bones. I mean, you know, they had Kai Havertz on the bench. Uh, they had Sol Neguez, which they've hardly used. They had a very decent team out on the pitch. 
and they have got the deep. We've been saying all season they've got the deepest squad in the in the Premier League, so they should be the best equipped to deal with with a few injuries and, and a packed fixture list. I think the truth is more that um, the team's rather lost its mojo a bit, and is showing maybe signs of mental fragility that that City certainly aren't showing, and perhaps you couldn't really level at Liverpool. I mean, you know, Chelsea's have got this odd pattern under different managers of of wilting um, when it gets to this midwinter point and it looks like they're doing that again a little bit starting from that game against West Ham where they you know they, they, they played quite well but but got mugged with a, that, that sort of strange last minute goal by Masuaku and since then they've they just lost that that certitude that they had for really nine months under Tuchel you know it, it, it's if that one setback has really rocked them more than it, it should have done and I I think those are the reasons more than, yes, injuries are, are a factor, but I, I think that there are deeper reasons than that for last night, again, giving away a last-minute goal. I think I think those are the, the patterns that Tuchel should be looking at. Once again, Tom, the Premier League, uh, football in general, making itself look quite farcical by the number of complaints. Uh, you've got people all over the world basically saying, come on now, get on with it. We know it's not a great situation, but we're all in the same boat and we'd rather be, you know, and it does come up, you know, we'd rather be on a hundred grand a week and playing in the Premier League than, you know, the athletes that are having their funding cut and and uh, events postponed or cancelled during this period of time. You know, Premier League football is still going and it looks, at least from the outside, to be quite a privilege, I've got to say, um, to be involved in it. So I find it quite strange. Thomas Tuchel, after the match, I mean, honestly, Maybe he's a sore loser. I don't know. I don't know. But um, but it, it you know it, it grated me slightly to hear him talk about how he couldn't he couldn't fight in the title race, and not only that, virtually implying that the integrity of the league is is being affected by the COVID and injury situation. We learned a great many things from Sir Alex Ferguson, and one of them was that you've got to keep your excuses fresh, haven't you? You've got you've got to mix it up a little bit. Blame the away kit. Blame the referee, blame the weather, <laughs> blame the scheduling, you know, keep it fresh, guys. Keep it fresh. Mix it up a little bit. Don't hammer us with the same thing over and over again, because that's when the public starts to turn against you. And as Johnny says, I wonder whether that is kind of filtering down into the players a little bit, because as players, when your manager is going, oh, poor us, oh, it's so hard against us, oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? You kind of find the players a little bit on the pitch, you know, throwing their arms in the air. Oh, this is so difficult, isn't it? Boy, why is it so hard against us? And actually, you know, if you focus more on trying to beat a very well-organised and well-drilled Brighton team, who were excellent, I thought, kept going, kept in the game, then, you know, that's that's more of a priority. I just think, I think Johnny's right. I wonder whether it's slightly filtering down into the players mentally, this, oh, woe is, woe is me, poor Chelsea. Yes, it is difficult to lose players to COVID. Yes, they have had, you know, players like Kovacic getting injured, then getting covid Probably not at full fitness, but as you say, Hugh, they've got one of the biggest squads and that team and squad they had out there last night should and was enough on a good day to to beat a Brighton team. And actually, they lost concentration. I know we're going to come to the goal in a minute, but it, it was a poor goal to concede really as well. Yeah, Havertz, Ziyech, Barkley, Saunagez, Shalabakante, Alonso amongst those on the bench for Chelsea. It's pretty good. Last it's night. pretty good. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad. You've got to say he's in a pretty decent position, Thomas Ducal, although it, it's clear he won't admit that himself. Uh, 
yeah, you're right. We're going to come to the goal in a few seconds' time. Just very quickly, Jonathan, this idea that there's no margin for error in the Premier League title race is grating on some people. You know, it does feel a little bit like uh, the past week has seen Liverpool and Chelsea slip away, away and it's virtually a one-horse race, cities to lose. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I've raised eyebrows at because if you look, if you do the math, City aren't on course for like a, a 100-point season, you know, they're kind of mid-90s or, or something like that. It's a lot. And it's a lot of points. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of points. But the point I'm making is that, you know, Liverpool, take Liverpool, they're on course for kind of an 82, 83-point season. We know, we've known for the last 10 years, that's not enough to win the Premier League. So I don't think it's that, City are setting such unbelievable, unrelenting standards. I mean, they have done in the last 10 games, but across the season, it hasn't been like 2017-18 or 2018-19. It's not been like that at the top. I think it's 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 that the, the Chelsea and Liverpool haven't quite been at those levels. And, 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 you know, there are things about the Manchester City project, of course, that make me deeply uncomfortable. But one thing that, I'd always say is that, that, you know, you have to admire, just admire the sheer quality of the management, coaching and football. And that's what we're seeing this season. This is a team that was supposed to not be able to do it because they didn't have a striker. You know, they've overcome their own challenges and they they just play at this. I was thinking about this this morning. You just never see City play badly with the ball. You might see them defend badly from time to time and maybe give a game away that they shouldn't, but, the standards of the standards of football in possession are just absolutely exceptional, and it's through fantastic coaching. It's it's through um, intelligent players who absorb that coaching, and I think it's to be admired. And and, and I'm uncomfortable a week where City, where Chelsea and Liverpool mess up, and then certain people play Manchester City. I don't see I don't see the connection. You know, I know City fans feel a bit embattled. The world's against us. But in this case, I think they've they've got a right to think. Come on, you know we're we're now getting we're now getting blamed for other teams not being able to to do their jobs. Let's go back to Stamford Bridge. We'll talk about Liverpool, as I said. Brighton, well worth the point. Tom, you just mentioned slightly critical of, of the way Chelsea defended the goal uh, that Danny Welbeck scored, and and he's basically everyone's you know everyone's got well wishes for Danny Welbeck. We see the difficulties he's been through with the ACL injuries that he's had during his career. And it's always nice to see Welbs, that guy Welbs, scoring a goal <laughs> once again. But, but you're right, Chelsea should have defended it better. They should, yeah. I mean, Danny Welbeck is everyone's favourite other footballer, isn't he? I was watching the game with my brother, who's a Manchester United fan, and he said with about 10 minutes to go, oh, Welbeck's just come on, go on, get a last-minute equaliser, Danny. And I, that's the happiest I've seen him watching football for a long, long time, which probably won't surprise you, Hugh. It was a fantastic header. I should say that first before I start criticising Chelsea. It was a brilliant, brilliant header. I just felt that I think he had Rudiger one side, Chalabar the other. You know, when the ball came to Cucurella, you knew he was just going to dink it in, you know, put it into a dangerous area, as they say. And I just found again that Chelsea were just a little bit lacking in that kind of front foot aggression. You know, you've got those two defenders either side of him. And actually, they gave him the space to make that kind of a great header. You're only going to score that if you've got space to jump, divert the ball into the right direction and get power on it. And to be able to do that without any real kind of like barge, a little push, you know, a bit of a jump in front of him. I just thought that was really poor from Chelsea. And I think that kind of feeds into what we were talking about before, that just 
slight lack of intensity, perhaps, or that slight lack of commitment that we saw in those first few months of Tuchel's time that made them so brilliant. That's that kind of, God, they are so, so up for this in every single second. You know, they'd make last-ditch challenges and the whole team would like scream at that player and go, yes, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. And it just felt a little bit like, oh, God, oh, we've conceded. Poor us. But taking absolutely nothing away from Brighton, I think that they deserved it for staying in the game. They were confident on the ball. They weren't just booting it and clearing it and clinging on. And it was a brilliant goal. And as you say, Hugh, delighted for Danny Welbeck. That's what the Premier League's all about. You know, we want these results thrown in there. Very disappointing for Chelsea fans. But I don't think the title race is over just yet. We know Manchester City have their wobbles and they're going to have a lot of games in a lot of competitions before the end of the season uh, to deal with as well. And they haven't yet, not that I wish it on them, of course, but been affected by the, the COVID-19 uh, postponement, which, of course, will affect, I think, every team as well as the season goes on. Let's talk about VAR and referees because they have had a very tough week. You know, these managers banging on about too many games for the players you want to run the line, mate. Honestly, unbelievable. <laughs> uh, no penalty for Christian Pulisic last night. Mason Mount could have had a goal. That was disallowed. Uh, no advantage played. There was no red for Rudiger for a lunge on Lamptey, but elsewhere in the last few days, Harry Kane and Imeric Laporte had goals disallowed for very close, tight onsides. By the way, Phil Foden did have one allowed for a very, very tight uh, decision as well. Uh, Matt Doherty penalised for a non-foul on Fraser Forster. The ball ended up in the back of the net. No VAR intervention there. And West Ham uh, had a goal harshly disallowed for a foul way in the build-up from Thomas Sauchek as well. Jonathan, well, I was going to ask you why the officiating hasn't been up to scratch, but that implies a lot. That's a very loaded question. <laughs> what, what is your judgment of the officiating of the past seven to ten days? Uh, they're a bit inconsistent. I don't, um, I, I mean, I, I think it's taken us till now, maybe certainly me to, to think mm, they've had a bad run on VR. I think this season has been a big improvement uh, and it's been a big improvement because they've gone more with the referees call on the pitch really and, and tried to interfere less, which just feels better in terms of integrity. But yeah, I mean, there's probably a few tired minds in, in Stockley Park at the moment. I think the, 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 the off, there's a difference you've always got to separate the offsides from the other ones. The offsides, there's always going to be a point where somebody goes from from offside to onside to offside and that, that margin's always going to cause controversy. And personally, I, I, you know, I, again, I would, watching the cricket over the last couple of weeks, I quite like the idea of, of tight decisions going with umpire's call and I, I would rather go back to linesmen, assistant referees, raising their flags in the moment when they see an offside and if it's a margin, if it's a margin one, like the Harry Kane one, just go with the guy on the pitch uh, rather than, you know, go with the the, the, the millimetres and the lines because that doesn't satisfy anyone. It's the other, it's the fouls, I think, that have been inconsistent decisions over the last while. And they do seem to depend on a referee's or VAR's mood on a certain day at, at, at times. The one... No, I, I, I think I know everyone's saying that it was a bad decision. The one I, I don't have a problem with was the um, Fraser Forster. I thought that was a foul on, on, on Forster. I thought it was bad goalkeeping. It was, definitely. Kind of weak goalkeeping. He caught it in a strange position. But I did think it was a foul. Um, I did think it was, at least it was, it was, it was the, we know it, it, whether it should be a foul is another matter, but it was, you know, physical contact when the keeper's kind of in control of the ball. The other ones, yeah, I think were more controversial than that, but no problem with the Foster. I think they seem a little maybe jaded, a little bit tired, perhaps, as you say, Hugh, but 
I mean, I think Johnny raises an interesting point there about the kind of on-field decision because, Hugh, you and I, before the um, before we started recording, were talking about those decisions and you said you were at the Southampton-Tottenham game and you said you called offside with your naked eye that in, instantly. And I found myself doing the same with that incident and with the Americ Laporte uh, offside as well, as much as I was gutted because I've got him in my fantasy football team. When it went in, I said, that's offside. So I think... You know, if you're in the ground and you're saying that's offside, I think, I think the, maybe maybe do the lines and the the over officiating bring about the problem? Sometimes I think maybe because of the technology, we create more debate for ourselves just by putting lines on the pitch. You know, Hugh, you were making this point before, weren't you? I get very annoyed watching the Champions League when we don't see the replays. You know, and it's like it's being checked, and we just watch the referee with his finger on his ear. And I'm like, well, I want to see it. I want to be involved because that's the drama of, I think, what you know, watching it on a Wednesday night on your sofa with a beer or what, what not. But I think in reality, in terms of the debate, seeing it unnecessarily, really, because it's not going to change the decision, enrages people um, for no apparent reason. Just put on the board it was offside. And everyone goes, oh, it must have been tight. He looked on, but carry on. You know, and I think you just need to trust that the officials aren't going to have some sort of corrupt, you know, debate about it a little bit later on. You know, of course, you don't want to, you don't want these things hidden, you know, maybe put it on social media a little bit later on, a couple of hours after the game. I don't think it's the huge talking point then um, that it that it becomes uh, the same with the TV coverage. You know, the, the, the broadcasters probably want to see it because they want to have the debate over um, what exactly they, they've seen on the pitch. But send it to them and, and they can d- discuss it at halftime and full time. You know, this in-game, all oh, that was tight and people fuming during the game, especially when it ends up one all, you know, as the whistle goes, people are then enraged. And and for me, as though, it, although it's not as entertaining from a TV standpoint, um, I think it's probably better in terms of the pressure that we're putting on officials. Let's get back to the football. Anyway, Liverpool, they had a bit of an off day, didn't they? At Leicester City, a huge win for them. It was a pretty patchwork lineup. They rode their luck to victory. Great performance from Kasper Schmeichel in goal. Adamola Lookman's goal, the difference in a 1-0 win. And Brendan Rodgers, the Leicester boss, had a bit of pressure on him before this. This was exactly what he needed to silence those doubters, Johnny. It's been a weird season for Leicester. I mean, they've had small patches of, of looking brilliant and quite large patches of looking like an extremely ordinary team. And I suppose we've almost got accustomed to a consistent Leicester under Brendan Rodgers, which, you know, sort of top five or six kind of team. And, and this is this has not been that kind of season, but it's definitely the best best day of the season, best night of the season in the Premier League anyway. You know, if you're talking about injuries, that was a very, very patched up Leicester team with missing their, 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 all the first choice centre-backs. But defended brilliantly, got, got, got the first clean sheet in, in a long time. Uh, Schmeichel was immense. I thought Wilf and Didi and Amarty were also superb. Um, although indeed he did give away the, the penalty, but was otherwise you know just just the number of blocks and 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 recoveries that guy makes is incredible. And then you had um, you had a great performance by Dewsbury Hall in midfield and a fabulous cameo when from Lookman when he came on. And there's been a kind of evolution in Leicester in from from a real possession team into. Um, a superb sort of counter-attacking team, and and or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a it's a regression back to what they used to be when they won the league. But that was that was a very sort of old Leicester, old stroke new Leicester goal. That 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 counter-attack finished by Lookman, and and they are deadly in those situations, as Man- Manchester City saw when it went from 
you know, 4 0 to 4 3 so quickly last weekend. So those two performances give a platform now for maybe less to stabilize their season. And they've got a lot of players to come back, a lot of players to come back uh, in the new year. And they should be, you know, maybe Brendan's ridden out the storm. Yeah, maybe he has. What do you think, uh, Tom, especially in terms of that performance? What do you think was key or who do you think was key? Kasper Schmeichel, 100%. We've talked about him. I've mentioned him a few times on recent shows about such a such a brilliant talismanic goalkeeper. They've conceded a few goals where balls come into the box. He's kind of parried it out and the opposition have scored. He is such a leader, such a talisman for that team that I think when he saves that penalty and then makes the other brilliant save from Salah, to have a team that's a bit patchwork, that's a bit full of young players, suddenly they're looking at their captain and a goalkeeper of that standing and going, oh, he's back. Actually, he's just stopped Mo Salah twice. Maybe we can do this. I think that sends such a message to everyone. And you could tell, you know, they saved the penalty. And I think it was Thomas who went sprinting down the left wing, just kept going and going and going. You could just tell the fans kind of went up a notch. The fans were superb the whole game. But I just thought he was the absolute key. I think Johnny's right. Indeed, he played really well. Dewsbury Hall was brilliant, but he is such a massive figure in this team. When you talk about transition as well as we have done, Jamie Vardy not always starting trying different things up front, inconsistencies in defence in terms of selection. When you've got Kasper Schmeichel still there, when he's playing at the top of his game, when he's putting in a performance like that, Leicester will always have a chance. I'm amazed you didn't go for Keane in Dewsbury Hall. Come on, on loan at Blackpool, then Luton Town. I mean, Absolutely. 23 years old. I mean, I mean, yeah, Casper was pretty good, but come on. <laughs> he was brilliant. And well, as listeners know, I have a bit of a goalkeeper's union bias when it comes to um, picking out players. <laughs> and I think I wanted to kind of, you know, be a bit fair and measured because I've criticised Casper Schmeichel in recent shows. But Dewsbury Hall was superb as well. But I just think that from that opening spell, he was one of those players that grew in confidence, you know, for, for his work for the Luckman goal neat interchanges I just think they they grew in the game and I think this as you say Hugh it could be a turning point for them they'll still have difficult moments whilst they're getting players back but just that belief that they'll take from this performance those fringe players those squad players who are still going to have to play a lot of football over the coming weeks they'll take such confidence from that performance Well I think there were a number of players on the evening at the King Power who I think did cover themselves in glory the Liverpool finishing in particular not great before we next speak, there is a key game in terms of the title race. Chelsea hosting Liverpool on the second. Johnny, is the loser out of the title race, if there is a loser? I'd say so, yeah. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd go further and say I think Chelsea are more or less out of it anyway. Just because, I mean, this trough that they're in, and we've been talking about this almost psychological trough, has just raised that, that, that just raises questions to me about their ability to stay the course uh, mentally. I'm, I'm, I just can't quite see them picking themselves up from this this place to put in together the kind of relentless run that they would need to win the the title. So I'd say I, I think it is between Liverpool and City. And really, if Liverpool lose it, I'd say I hate that kind of the title race is over. But it'd be very hard to see if, if Liverpool lost anything other than a Man City title win. So. Basically, I think Liverpool need to win this game to, to keep the title race alive. Do you agree, Tom? 
I think they do need that win. I think they need it in a broader sense after that defeat at Leicester to come back. In terms of the title, I just I just think City might have a blip of their own at some point. You know, Johnny mentioned it earlier. I don't think they're quite at that runaway level yet. You know, I watched the game against Brentford. You could see Pep Guardiola on the touchline. He looked very agitated, very animated. Didn't look particularly impressed with the performance. Yes, the old cliche, the best teams win when they're playing badly or not playing at their best. But I just think in this season as well, when you've got teams like Tottenham under Conte, who are a bit rejuvenated, maybe Manchester United under Ralph Rangnick will finally get their act together. I just think City might come up against teams where they might drop a few points, which might let Liverpool back in. I agree with Johnny that of the two teams, Liverpool are the most likely to catch City. So yeah, from that point, they from that point of view, they do need to beat Chelsea to keep it alive. But I, d- I don't think it's quite all done and dusted yet. We will see. I'm really intrigued to see how that game goes, and if Chelsea can come back into it, it would be a huge boost for them if they can beat Liverpool. But of course, I, I maybe agree with Jonathan. You look at Manchester City and the fact that they never really have a tough patch throughout this season. Yeah, they got a couple of tough games back to back, but other than that, you can't see them going more than one possibly two games without winning um, so I think it's going to be a very tough season for anyone uh, to overtake them at this point eight points clear uh, now before the season started people thought wow it could be a four horse race Manchester United are back Cristiano Ronaldo is there finished second in the Premier League last year well that's all gone out the window Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacked of course and Manchester United since Ralph Rannick has come in as their interim boss haven't really turned a corner. Their last two matches against Norwich, a 1-0 win. They were very, very poor. And their last game out, a one all draw against Newcastle at St. James's Park. The team at 19th in the Premier League showed all of the same dreadful play. It almost looked like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had never left. Uh, Ralph Ratnick, I think, Jonathan, has a bigger job than he thought he had on his hands. Because I don't know necessarily that it's all about tactics, although we'll come to the system. I think there are too many players that think they're better than they are at Manchester United. Too many players who are work shy. And that 4-2-2-2 system doesn't suit them. Well, yes. I, th- I, th- I think broadly that's right. I, th- I think he- I think Ranić will be realising how deep some of those problems are. And it looks at the moment like United have exchanged one set of problems for another, which is... They are more solid. Um, they are better structured defensively. You can see them getting around the ball more and pressing a lot better, of course, under him. Although, you know, even that part of their game wasn't particularly great at, at Newcastle. But in general, it, it, it's not the flaky, um, you know, wide open team that, that there was at, towards the end of, of Solskjaer's time. But then they've lost their, they've lost their individual flair. They've lost their, sort of freedom and attack that was, you know, their, their ability to give Bruno the ball or, or, or you know, allow Cristiano to to pull them out of, uh, of, of a tight spot that, that they had before because they're more sort of structured and, 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 and they're playing this 4-2-2-2 formation, which to make it work, that, that does rely on, you know, proper team attacking and, and a lot of work to fill those, particularly those wider areas from, from players. And it's yes, it's coming down to um, some of those players are, are a bit fragile. Some of those players aren't perhaps as good as we say on the tin, or, or at least in such poor form. Think of Harry Maguire that you kind of begin to wonder where the the, the tailspin's going to end. Um, and then physically, I think is the biggest thing. You know, there is a reason why Solskjaer kept picking McF- McFred, as they call it, 
in midfield and why Ranić's doing the same because McTominay and Fred are two of the few players with with real energy, the kind of energy that you see from Liverpool or Chelsea or, or Manchester City players in that team. And 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 I think physically they're, 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 there's a, there's a problem with a lot of the rest of them. So Ranić has you know he's a very clever man and he's got a, a a real kind of set of conundrums to to try and solve and it's just you know following manchester united twitter i think what doesn't help the club either is this kind of pitch of hysteria that has built up um over the last few years about the club where you know they they, they do veer from we're back you know glory days are here again to I hate my club. Why does it put me through all this pain in the space of forty-five minutes? Sometimes, and that kind of febrile kind of environment doesn't help uh, anyone either. I would say Man United fans calm down, but I've also got a lot of sympathy for the, some of the nonsense they've had to watch in the last few years on the pitch. When it comes to Man United, Tom, I I, I watched that game and I thought there has to be a point of the interim boss. And if they're going to put in performances like that and it continues, then we need the new manager immediately. There can't be a a, a period where Manchester United totally transition the way that they play for six months under this interim boss, bring in a new manager, then transition into a a totally new way of, of playing and the players take a step back once again before they take a step forward. It screams to me now, Manchester United are a big enough club with enough money in the bank to go and get the manager that they want. And I, I think virtually any manager who would be available to them, they could prize away from the job that they're currently in. And it seems like Manchester United need to use that name and that might and maybe even that history to go and get that manager because the players are resting on the legacy of Manchester United. They almost feel like it's going to carry them through games. None of them are really earning the right to win matches in the Premier League and they haven't for some time. Ralph Rannick is the person who decides the future of Manchester United. And for me, that's almost a dangerous situation in terms of their manager, that is. Um, because he's essentially going to be a director of football at the club and he's going to have a big say in what that decision is. I think if he's a smart man, he gets out the hot seat as soon as possible if the football's not going well and he forces the club, he pushes the club into maybe going for a Mauricio Pochettino mid-season, especially in January where you think, right, at least they've got a chance to bring in a new manager, Paris Saint-Germain, and maybe give them a, a couple of players as well. Do you think Ralph Rannick is working out? Do you think he's going to work out? And do you think he's a sort of character who would make a decision to step away from the interim role if it's not going well? Oh, gosh. What a lot of questions. How am I, how am I supposed to answer all of those? Um, Come on, man. It's easy. What's happening now? What's going to happen? What should happen? I think when they appointed Ralph Rannick, it was never going to be one of those quick new manager bounce type moments. I think, you know, Johnny quite rightly defended Ole Gunnar Solskjaer from criticisms and said that, his role as manager was the good time guy. He was the one who boosted everyone's confidence, made players feel good. Is a little bit tactically limited, but that's what he was there for. And he did a brilliant job. That's why he was perfect as the interim manager. Ralph Ranić is a slow build type guy. He's a pull all the pieces out. He started again from the foundations. He's the look at recruitment, look at the youth academy, look at everything and let's build it from the ground up. You're not going to get a quick turnaround and suddenly see United blowing away teams like Newcastle under Ralph Rangnick because he stood there on the pitch still working out all the problems first before he's fixing them. That's that's where he's at at the moment. And so I think to your other questions, you would hope that the decision has been made when they 
went for Ranić that that's what they were going to do. They were going to do a kind of pull it apart and start again type thing. So when you say, Hugh, that they need to go and get the manager they want, I don't think they quite know the manager they want yet because they went for this guy, this figure in football, well-renowned, revered in high circles by Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel. They went for this guy and said, okay, make us a modern football club. Make us a modern club on the pitch and off the pitch. And then we'll go and decide whether we want Brendan Rodgers, Mauricio Pochettino and interview them in the guise of this is what we're going to be as Manchester United now. Because that's, that's that comes down to the problem, isn't it? Post-Ferguson, they never fully embraced modernity in football, directors of football, modern recruitment. These are all still problems for Manchester United, which is why you come down to the pitch and you've still got two midfielders of limited ability who are your most consistent and best players being completely overrun in midfield. No, Ralph Ranić is not going to be the new manager, bounce type manager. Yes, he is the right man for the job as long as Manchester United commit to him. But I don't think they still know who their long-term manager is yet because he's pulling it all apart and starting from the ground up. I don't know what happens with Manchester United next. It's all over the place, actually. I saw a tweet this morning um, saying that the cultural reset idea is just a total misnomer, to be perfectly honest. Um, there's no cultural reset in Manchester United. There are just people being brought into the club who are either unqualified or incompetent. And that's happened over several years, to be perfectly honest. There's no cultural reset coming. Come on, you can't say Ralph Ranić's unqualified and incompetent. I mean, that, that tweet's a bit out of date, isn't it? No, no. I, I, listen, I, I'm not speaking about Ralph Rennick in particular. It's virtually everyone else but him. Um, but the point okay. is, in terms of the in terms of the culture at the club, he's maybe not enough on his own to change everything. I mean, the the, the and and I think his comments almost hark towards that. You know, it's him saying what went wrong at the end of the game was you know physicality. You know, he's basically saying. He was asked about the body language. No, it's none of that this week. That was last week. This week, we just didn't fancy it much. You know, it's like every single week, there is something that points towards a larger cultural issue. But those things take time. No, no, you're right here. And you've, you, uh, sorry, Tom, you're right. And, and, you know, you articulated it beautifully. Why, why Ranić's there? It will take time. Um, and when you talk about something like physicality, you're talking about a program of several months to, to improve the conditioning. By the way, that's exactly what happened when Klopp arrived at Liverpool. Um, they, he, he needed probably this, that whole season, that, that half season that he had to start getting the team. In fact, he needed beyond that because I remember the, the first preseason he had, he then overworked them and, and the, the, the subsequent season, they, they kind of gave out halfway through. So it took, maybe it took him 18 months to, to get the team physically right for the Premier League and Liverpool were not finishing top four in, in, in that period. And, and I think so physicality, yes, would, would take that amount of time. Recruitment is another thing that takes time and, and possibly changing the, the profile of of the players and the skill sets will, will, will take time. And at some point United have got to stick with something that, 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 that and, and have the confidence to, to try and build a post-Ferguson era. And I do think Ranić offers them a route to doing that. The, the logic would be for him to appoint a, a manager in his mold, you know, somebody, and he's got a huge contacts book from the stable of coaches that he's worked with before, or, 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 or some, a disciple of his or someone along those lines and then you you wouldn't be looking at that kind of boom and bust cycle that you're talking about you where you know new manager comes everything starts again it would be more of a continuity thing so here's a, you know maybe the scenario is that 
Chelsea's tailspin continues. They they do their annual sacking and Thomas Tuchel's available in the <laughs> summer. That'd be perfect for United. Well, yeah, I think um, I think uh, yeah, I, I'm undecided as to whether Manchester United should wait and where that puts them in terms of next year's Premier League title race and whether they'll even be in it uh, for another couple of seasons. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, Newcastle United are in a race of their own uh, towards the bottom of the table, inspired by Joelinton. A fantastic point, which I think Tom could spur bigger things. What do you feel? Yeah, it felt like a little, a little incremental turn in the road. You know, they've got a, you know Eddie Howe's driving a big runaway truck, isn't he? And he's it, it, he's trying to put on the brakes and he's trying to do that three point turn and get them heading in the right direction. This this felt like a little bit of a moment where he managed to do that. As you say, Joe Linton and what what he's done with him, if he can take that and make it a bigger part of the, the, the bigger picture and do it with the whole squad, then Newcastle are going to have a chance. We're obviously heading towards the January window. We've said it before in terms of the takeover, in terms of it being badly planned, in terms of not knowing the manager. They can't afford to mess this up now in terms of not having some moves and some deals lined up for the first few weeks of the January window. It showed a little sign, but they've still got a very weak squad and so, you know, the, ne- the next couple of weeks are going to be key. If we don't see um, a few new players coming in, I've said it before, if we're, we're heading towards the end of the January window and it's a Sky Sports News back and forth to stood outside St. James's Park and have they managed to get that deal over the line for the French bloke that you've never heard of and is he going to be good enough and have they paid 20 million quid too much for him? That's going to be a nightmare. Make some sensible deals. Give Eddie Howe a chance because he, he's he's doing his best, and he's you know that performance showed that he's he's got he's got it in him to turn Newcastle around. But he needs some help. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I do want to look ahead as we approach New Year's Eve to what might happen in 2022 with some of your predictions, gentlemen. There are a number of things. I'm going to go through 10 different things. Very quick fire. All I ask before you start your quick fire round here is that you have to give us an answer as well. I'm not arguing with you on this. I know you're the host, <laughs> but you have to give us your answer as well. You can't just put this on me and Johnny. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm happy to give my, uh, my opinion on this. Let's go then. Will Scotland make the World Cup? They face Ukraine oh, oh, oh. in the playoff, uh, then Wales or Austria in the uh, final of the playoff, if you like. Jonathan, what do you think? Your countrymen. Of course they will. Yeah, Ukraine uh, are, are there for the taking and, and we always beat Wales in the playoffs. Easy one. I think that says it all. You've got a Scott being confident. We've said it about Steve Clark, what he's done to that squad. Yes, yes, all the way. I tend to agree. I think the playoff draw went very nicely for them. It didn't go as nicely for Italy or Portugal, who, if they make it to the final of their route, will play one another for the place in the World Cup. Do you think Italy or Portugal will miss out? Portugal will miss out. Um, they... Uh... Uh, yeah, they've, they've got some rather Manchester United-like problems and I'll, I'll leave it there. I can't see Italy missing out. I think a little bit of a blip, but they'll go back to all the Italian qualities and that'll see them through, I think. I agree. I think Italy are going to make it through, but it would be a hell of a playoff final, wouldn't it? Uh, going uh, up against one another. Um, the World Cup coming towards the end of 2022. Um, how far do we think England will get in the next World Cup? Jonathan? I think they might get to the final. I don't think they'll win it, but I think uh, I think I think the the ride might continue under Gareth. They might go a long, long way. Something about I'm not quite sure what. I'm not quite sure why. I think they might not struggle. They'll probably do what old-fashioned England and quarterfinals. But as as Johnny says, under this under Gareth Southgate, that would be seen as a failure. But yeah, something about I don't know the transition of the team will have those same Grealish Foden problems again, and it won't quite work. And so, yeah, quarterfinals, I'm going to say. The draw cannot be as nice for England as it has been in previous World Cups. So I think we're getting a tough group stage draw. That might affect things. We might get a tough second round as well. So I'm going to put the spanner in the works and say quarterfinals, but because we play very difficult teams and we'll still leave with some pride uh, from Qatar in 2022. Who will be the Manchester United boss in a year's time as we go into 2023? Who will be the manager of Manchester United? Jonathan? Well, why do I, I'm going to stick with Thomas Tuchel. Let's just, let's just be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A bit whimsical. Part of me hopes that actually they keep pulling everything apart so much to the extent that it gets to the summer and actually they realise let's just keep going well down the road we're doing and so Ralph Ranjit will still be manager for another season of rebuild. But if not, let's go my new favourite manager of the moment after he proved me right for defending him on Monday's show, Brendan Rodgers. Okay, okay. I'm going six-year deal from Mauricio Pochettino. I think that's got Manchester United written all over it, to be perfectly honest. Where will Erling Haaland be playing in a year's time? I think he'll be playing in a, in a wide position for Manchester City as Pep Guardiola <laughs> signs him and then tries to make him unlearn being a number nine. I don't know. Holding midfield, he's got the physicality for it. You know, him and Rodri uh, replacing Fernandinho probably. Tom, what do you think? I would really like one of the English clubs to sign Robert Lewandowski so that we can see him play in the Premier League and therefore Bayern Munich will do what Bayern Munich do and go and sign the best players from their rivals. So Erling Haaland will be there. 
It's a tough one. I'm going to say Manchester City, actually. I think Tottenham will mess about with the Kane deal so much and they'll, they'll want so much money. Messi, Lionel Messi at Paris Saint-Germain, will he still be there at the end of 2023? Jonathan? No, no. Xavi's getting the, the band back together, isn't he? So he'll be uh, he'll be feeding off crosses from Danny Alves, surely. <laughs> Tom? Oh, I really hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think he'll still be there. I think PSG will just cling, cling desperately onto him particularly if they lose Kylian Mbappe and try to present themselves as still the powerhouse in Europe that they're not quite and never have been. Wouldn't surprise me if he was at Barcelona in a year's time. <laughs> uh, they're signing players for 55 million quid, don't you know? They've got plenty in the bank and they'll probably bring him back in the summer for 200 million quid. Uh, <laughs> Manchester United, at the end of this season, where do we think they will finish? Jonathan? Sixth place would be, well, sixth or seventh, I think. But let's, let's give them a favourable sixth. Fifth. Ooh, I might as well chuck in fourth. Say something positive Ooh. about them for once. You've got to yeah. stick with it. You've got to stick with it. You back them. Got to stick with it. it. Yeah. Player of the year and young player of the year. Uh, we've had half the season so far. Who do you think will take it eventually, Jonathan? I think Salah will 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 take it because I do think Liverpool will win something, and his goals will be key, and he'll probably end up with about forty of them. So I'll go for him. Do you want young player as well? Yeah, go ahead. Who do you think it will be? I think it'll be Phil Foden again. I get the same feeling, I've got to say. Uh, go on, Tom. Who do you think? I mean, Phil Foden is probably the sensible shout, isn't it? As is Mo Salah, because as I agree with Johnny, I think Liverpool win, will win something. I think they'll win the Champions League. But to be different, I'll go João Cancelo and young player. I will go age of the right backs, Liveramento at Southampton. Okay, all right. I think Conor Gallagher might have a shout for young player of the year if he keeps his, his form up as well for me and player of the year. Why not? I'll just chuck in Bernardo Silva playing pretty well at the moment. We spoke about Harry Kane. Will he still be at Spurs as we go into next season? Jonathan, yes or no? I think he will now, actually. Until Conte arrived, I'd have said not. And I don't think City will be available to him. So I'm going to say Harry will sign another six-year deal at Spurs. Tottenham till he dies. Tottenham till he dies. Absolutely. That was his one chance. It's gone now. I think from every point of view, semantics on the pitch, financial, he's at Tottenham for the rest of his career, I think. I'll have to wait until the interview with Gary Neville comes out this season to see exactly what he wants. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no on this. And I think Man City, for some reason, will go back and try and sign him again. And they'll probably end up getting him. Uh, very quickly, our prediction for the end of this season, top six and your bottom three. Jonathan, in order. Okay, I'm going to go City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester United, and bottom three, Watford, Norwich, Burnley. Just to be different, because I think City will have some kind of blip. No, it doesn't make any sense. Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Arsenal in fourth, Manchester United in fifth, Tottenham in sixth, bottom three, Norwich bottom, then Watford. And I keep flip-flopping on this. I've said Brentford for a while, then I said Newcastle. Now I think Brentford again just all right um, my top four it's City's title to lose at this point in time I think Liverpool will be second then Chelsea as I just said Manchester United Spurs then Arsenal in sixth bottom three I think Watford are going to go down I think they've turned that corner in terms of their form losing every week conceding an average of two a game I think Norwich already gone worst team in the league might as well chuck in Newcastle because I know the Newcastle fans think I hate them um, no I'd love to see I'd love to see Newcastle stay up you get a feeling that Burnley flirt almost too much with relegation and eventually it will bite them so why don't I say Burnley at this point in time just to keep the Newcastle fans happy for a few more months especially as we get to those big money deals in January gentlemen thank you very much uh, Tom Clark uh, Jonathan Northcroft 
and for all of you for listening. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. We'll be back on the 3rd of January, reflecting on all those New Year's games. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times as well. If you do sign up today, then you'll get yourself one month free. So check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you very soon. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.